Welcome to More Than a Refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Today, we are recording from Astoria, Queens, Austin, Texas, and Saguaro National Park, Arizona. Our guest today is Glinda Sims, Chief Information Accessibility Officer at DQ Systems, Inc. That is a mouthful of a title there, Glinda. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I call myself, Glinda, the Good Witch of Accessibility. And I started my journey of accessibility um, at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, Before becoming a digital accessibility expert, you know, I just had a bachelor's in psychology, business management, about a decade of work in the human resources field. And I was bored. I was really bored. Okay. Because back in that day, like... The things that I had to do as an HR professional really could have been done by computers. And so... Now, what do you mean by that? What's an example? um, An example of that um, is I would review University of Texas at Austin um, employment appointments to and approve them and code them for benefits in my early, early career. Okay. And the majority of what I was doing literally could have been programmed to do that review. And as opposed to me doing a hundred percent of the work, I could have done the 10 or 20% that actually required my brain, but it hadn't been programmed yet. So it, there were a lot of jobs uh, back then in, in the early 80s and, and the early 90s where people were paid to do things that computers would eventually take over. Well, and I think we're seeing that now in a lot of sectors. Um, I don't know whether or not it's a good thing for society or, yet. Um, but before we get into some of the things that you were discussing, I actually want to back up just a bit because you said something about your degrees. You've got business yeah. management and psychology. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of the things that I've always, you know, people will, you know, as someone who is also getting wiser by the day, uh, I have a tendency to talk to young professionals, uh, people that are starting to talk about, you know, what careers they want, what, uh-huh. you know, what degrees that they should uh, focus on. Uh, and a lot of them obviously are coming from the technical realm, but I do talk to a lot of uh, younger folks and I tell them, look, if you really want to be successful in business, there's two ways you can go about it. One is business management slash strategy. There's nothing wrong with that because that will never be removed by a computer. You need to have that people element, but make your minor psychology. Um, And the second side of that is marketing and psychology. Those are two that I often suggest because, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, but you don't even know if you have great power if you're not educated about it. And when you're a business manager, psychology is huge. Same with marketing. It it absolutely is. And And it's curious because like in my life, how many times have I said, I am not sales. That is not who I am. Um, I want to help people and business management could be seen as like, Ooh, I'm in power and I'm control and I get paid more. Or it can be like, Hey, a really good manager helps our people succeed. 
And so I'm one of those, I'm one of those that I'm in this to help the peeps. No, I, I get it. Uh, it. It's funny because as you say, I'm not in sales. Uh, the amount of times that I've told people that I'm not in sales and they look at me like I've lost my mind and say, yes, you are, um, is really, um, it, it, it's funny. It offends like my core beings. Like I am not in sales, but the reality is, as I am, I'm in the uh, position of selling an idea of helping people. Right. Or in my business. Uh, and in fact, even in our business, uh, which is open source databases, specifically PostgreSQL, we're not there to take care of your database. We're there to help you take care of your database. Right. So we're in the position of helping people. And I think that when it, the sales process or the business development process, when you look at it from that perspective versus you don't look at it from making the dollar. Yes. Right. Making the dollar is the problem with the system. If you look at it like a farm, right, where the profit, the dollar, that's the reward for the work, for the helping of the people. That presents a much better, in my mind, direction. And for every dollar somebody spends, did they get excellent return on investment? So you're right. We are all in sales, even though some of us are like, no, not me, not me, not me. And I've been told this and, and I have learned it at my shorthand is I'm not the salesperson. I'm the expert. I just want to help because my mission as we talk through digital accessibility, you know, I hope before I die that a lot of things that I do in my current field of digital accessibility can be done without an expert. Okay. Well, before let that's a path I want to go down, but before we get there, um, let's talk about digital accessibility because that's going to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Let's, sure. let's put that in some kind of demonstrable box. Yeah. Yeah. So, Digital accessibility is when all people, regardless of ability or disability, can independently get to the same information and use the same functions. I'm going to repeat one word in that, independently. Okay? Okay. And I have to add to that, what do you mean by disability? And, and for this, I'm actually going to take off my little glasses and I'm going to make sure I cover all the disabilities. There are five major categories. The first one I'm going to mention has to do with vision. It doesn't necessarily mean I only help people that are blind. It can be blind. It can be low vision. It can be colorblind. It's anything that harms your 2020 vision. So vision's the first one. The second one that I'll mention is hearing. You could be deaf. You could be hard of hearing. The third one I'm going to mention, I'm going to put my hand in the air and say motor. So physical, fine motor. And when we relate that to computers, it often is the ability to use a keyboard or a touch screen or a mouse. And then the next... When I started in this field, it wasn't really popular. Speech as input is another form of disability because 
if a computer can't understand that speech pattern because of an accent or a disability, then is there another way for them to achieve that? And then the last is the biggest and the coolest cognitive. Hmm. Is there something going on mentally that's blocking the person from being able to independently use or get the information? So vision, hearing, motor, speech as input, and cognitive are the disability types, equal access to use and get information independently. Okay. So the cognitive one, that's the one that interests me personally most, um, mainly because I'm in tech and I have yet to meet an individual who is good at tech. Uh And when I say good, I'm not talking about the ability to navigate Instagram. Okay. I'm talking to people that have a gift for tech. I have yet to meet one that does not have a gift for tech that isn't somewhere on the spectrum. Now, it may be very minor. Uh, all the way up to the point where, you know, if you take like an Elon Musk, who is, you know, he's technically brilliant. He is a person that, you know, people don't like to give him or affirm him because he's kind of a jackass in public, but they don't, on the flip side, he's literally, his ideas are literally changing the world as you and I speak. Yeah. Right. Um, so to me, that is interesting. The, the most or the most applicable, I think, is more appropriate. It's not about what's more important because we all have, um, you know, the one you brought up as speech is input. I find that interesting um, because you end up in a scenario where a stutter. Yes. Or Tourette's. Huh? Um, or an accent, right? I mean, as much as I love it when my uh, drive-by-drive directions are in an English or an Australian female accent, that doesn't necessarily buy me transcribing capability, right? Um, And as I've gotten older, uh, especially because even as technical as I am, I hate smartphones. (laughs) And I'm good on them. But they're just, I mean, I got big hands, which means I have big fingers, which means I'm constantly fat typing. So I've got, as the transcription capabilities have gotten better, I find it interesting because they used to be okay. Right. Now they're getting really good as they start to analyze more and more dialects, the way people say certain things. Um, but it also makes you articulate what you're going to say. Because if you say it one thing off, all of a sudden, you know, you have this great dissertation that has the word spaghetti in the middle. Yeah. Right. And it was um, so let's go ahead. As you were talking about that, you also mentioned something that falls into motor disability. And I just wanted to highlight it. You said you have big hands and so you have mm-hmm. big fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, the accessibility standard is about to add minimum target size as an accessibility requirement it's going to mean for my screen keyboard Uh for everything they're going to have to make the phones bigger well (laughs) 
Well, we, we have to be creative and, and something that we may think is impossible today, it, it doesn't matter if the users can't use it. And what's beautiful about this moment is, you know, we're talking about disabilities, people with official disabilities, where in America, they might qualify under the Americans with Disability Act for, for, for certain things. Um, there's this universal design space where you and I are benefiting from it with our accents and our, our, our fat fingers. Um, and it's, it is super exciting. So a person with a tremor might find a phone very difficult to use physically, unless right. if you get that target size large enough, which then helps you. Okay, so that gets into, I have a note here that says um, the when we make things accessible, it actually helps everybody. Yes. Uh, in, in sometimes an unexpected way. So in, in what you're talking about here, you're absolutely right. If, if there was a keyboard, say that I could download and install, that was designed, maybe it's for someone with a tremor mm-hmm. uh, or something, and somehow the the keyboard would sense well and actually they probably could do this now if they really wanted to it senses the size of the impact on the screen and therefore could adjust um like the size of the keys that i'm touching mm-hmm. so that would help me although you know my issue is just that i mean i, I ha- i'm you know 511 and have the hands of someone who's 6 foot 3 is my problem but that inadvertently that solution would help me. And and that's one of the exciting things. Whenever I step in and start solutioning the odd, the edgy, the, oh, you can't possibly make this accessible for people with disabilities. Those are my favorite things. Because as I step into that space, what I'm not going to do is I'm, I'm not going to say to whatever a person I'm working with, you have to make this accessible. You need to deflavorize it, decolorize it. You have to ruin the design for everybody else. No. What we're going to do is we're not going to be satisfied until we find a solution that is accessible to the disability types that I mentioned and gorgeous, as gorgeous as it was before. And I bet you better for all people without disabilities. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, so I really want to get into this cognitive thing, but I need to get my small business owner attitude out of the way first. Okay, all right. This is one of the things I really, I have, I already read your profile and researched you. So respect was, you know, respect was already high, but you reached the, okay, I'm not going to come out of the gate swinging when you said independently. Okay. And I think that that is vital, uh, you know, independently be able to access the information. Now, I think you would agree there, there's a certain benchmark, right? Because there are folks, my ex-wife, for example, works with nonverbals, people that aren't going to be able to independently do this no matter what. So they're, they're kind of the exception to that rule, right? Well, what I'll say is where we are now you're probably right. However, there is a group of people in what you might currently think couldn't ever do things independently that actually could 
And I've got a dear friend, um, John Rochford, who is up in Massachusetts faculty, and he is the brave and the courageous that goes in and works with people with intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. What if you were the parent of a child that was only able or, or was able to achieve third grade reading and math? You're not going to live forever. Right. Who's going to take care of that kid when they mm -hmm. grow up? Is there a way that we can help them have a job that they enjoy that's needed? Is there a way for us to help them pay their bills accurately and balance their checkbook? That's the space my friend John Rashford works in, including can they get access and understand how to keep themselves safe in COVID or find their own doctor? And so where he's going, so brave and courageous, and it's an area where I myself, you know, I've been doing this since the late 90s, and I love it. And I'm a psych major. The cognitive space overwhelmed me for over a decade in accessibility. I wasn't ready to unpack it. I wasn't ready to say how, how can a user interface design solve a cognitive disability issue because I was looking at it the wrong way. So let me, it's interesting that you, you kind of went that direction. Um, I am not a person that believes that technology can solve all things because, mm -hmm. well, because it's what I do. Right. And I see the limitations and I see the marketing that goes around technology. Uh, I also see the very quick pace that technology. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. This is just if you yeah. look at the at, you look at the variables, technology is driving us to 1984. And so mm -hmm. I have concerns when we start talking about regulation, when we start talking about like, I don't know if you've seen in the news, this chat GPT thing that's going about I, right now. I, I've seen it. Yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, so I have, so I, 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 as technical as I am, I start to push back and I very much am a, a fan of the saying just because we can, doesn't mean we should. Mm -hmm, yes. Right. So we have, I think that there's, there's things to unpack there, but before we go there, if Lindsay hasn't already mentioned this, and for those who don't know, Lindsay is our producer. She's currently about to roll her eyes. Her father, Steve Hooper, is in exactly this business. He is a dean of something at UNC Chapel Hill. I don't know if it's of like the psych department or what, um, but he works with neurally, um, you know, cognitive. Go ahead, Lindsay. Yeah, he's the Dean of Allied Sciences at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, for a long time, he was a practicing child neuropsychologist. Really great guy, published author, and we had some very good conversations about exactly what you're talking about. You take someone who maybe has third grade or seventh grade men, uh, mental capacity, and you find ways for them yeah. to be independent. Maybe that's in a group setting, but there's independent as they can be. Uh, and you do things like give them jobs. You give them purpose. Now, as a small business owner where I, and I haven't seen this recently, 
um, but it has been brought up in the past, there's a certain amount of, like I can employ someone, let's say for customer service. And that person does not have to be exceptional intellect, right? We're talking about say, hi, how can I help you? This is the policy, this is the process, whatever, and provide them with purpose. And I will happily do that. And I think a lot of small businesses would do that if the cost of the individual doesn't override the return, right? I mean, that makes it very challenging. And I will say that you are absolutely right as a business owner that you don't have the dollars or the time or the resources to sub to subsidize this. And so when we're approaching these problems, um, many times I'm brainstorming five years into the future, 10 years, 15, 20. Um, let's think back 50 years ago. Would anyone have imagined our phones are as powerful as they are? Would anyone have imagined that self-driving cars would be on some of our roads? The, you're right. Let me interject. I actually think that they would, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, even back in the 70s, they had video phones. Um, They were terrible, but. The, the idea was there. I mean, I remember that Apple, for example, you know, Apple had this vision of these phones. I don't use Apple, by the way. I'm an Android fan. Okay. You're um, I, got, uh, I got them down here. I got them down here. <laughs> yeah, they're called the, do you remember the Newton? Yeah, I do. Okay. They were yeah. way ahead of their time. And it was, it was, it was largely a flop, except among those who were really geeky. But yeah. these these corporations and these people, these brilliant people in the world, the the, the Wozniaks and things like that, they they do have this vision. It's just we haven't got there yet. I mean, I'll get, from a business perspective, I invested in a company. I think they were called, I think it was Peabody. I think it was the company, but it was back in the very very early two thousands. What yeah. they did is what DoorDash does. I was just oh, we were just ahead yeah. of the time. Right. They could it, it, not enough people because remember, the Internet, quote unquote, as a consumer device is young, very mm-hmm. young. I mean, it's it's just got to adolescence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that there are those people that will see that they're just ahead of their time. And so people kind of poo poo on it or it doesn't take mass adoption. Yeah. And, and and I'm not talking about um we're going to spend inordinate amounts of money to help somebody do something. Um, I'm not going to break the bank. I'm looking for that pragmatic, but in exploring that and in the space uh, that I hang out with and, and the cool people I hang out with, I am going to brainstorm outside the lines so that I don't block anything off. And and the Newton, I literally remember sitting around a table, University of Texas at Austin, we were envisioning the year 2015. And I think the year was 2001 that we were sitting at this table. And my team said to me, the future is already here, Glenda. It's just not widely distributed. Mm-hmm. So you can find these pockets of the future. And so some of the things that I'm saying to you, you're like, uh, I don't buy it yet. 
and 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 that's totally fine because it doesn't it doesn't exist deeply yet um I do have your best interest in mind as well. I'm not just, I'm going to at all costs help people with disabilities, even if it breaks the business's bank. Because you know what? We need the business too. Mm -hmm. We need the employers, at least for now, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's talk about DQ a little bit because we didn't actually get into that. Um, What does DQ do? If it's digital, we can help you make it accessible for people with disabilities. And our goal is you become self-sustaining. Because if we don't make you self-sustaining, okay, if you absolutely want to pay us to sit there by your side year after year after year and help you, we will. But the moment you want to do it on your own, we want you to do it on your own. Why? Because the creation of digital interfaces is exploding and I don't don't expect it to stop. And so we have to make it so that it is as commonplace as understanding how to, okay, I'm going to oversimplify, breathe. (laughs) So that's, it's interesting. You said, you know, the, the interfaces. The first thing that pops in my head is so an ocular device, mm-hmm. right? Where people who are deaf can now hear. Um, they are also now experimenting experimenting with, um, I don't even know, digital retinas, basically. You can't necessarily see, but you can, they can, it can draw out shapes so you don't walk into walls or, you know, you can make mm-hmm. corners, things like that, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating. This is my concern with these, is that eventually Mark Zuckerberg is going to put ads on it. <laughs> right and now you you laugh but th- no, that's my concern. <laughs> right i mean look some of the the largest driving factors of technology to the public to you know was driven by uh things that a lot of people don't like to talk about right mm-hmm. video streaming uh being as popular it is today as we do it on this platform that was caused by porn right I, I, that that so was Yes. Yes. That, that was the driving factor is people wanted instant access to their porn. And because of that, you and I are now having a a video podcast. Yeah. Over the hotspot on my phone in a national park. That's what did that. Now the plus side of that is that now we're starting to see medical breakthroughs. Uh, things like 5G have nothing to do with better broadband for internet. It, that's the side effect. That's for things like doing remote surgeries, things like that. Mm-hmm. But the downside is that somebody is going to want to put ads on there. Somebody is going to want to interface with your interface to the world. And that's scary yeah. to me. And I'll say that... I, um, as I, as I sit in my office surrounded by my magical things, um, I have rainbows and unicorns all around me. Uh, you would think I was four, uh, with the number of toys in my office. Um, I'm going to look for what can we do with all of this for good? 
And I really depend on people like you to go, oh yeah, but what about this, this, and this for bad? And we need that balance and we need that, that conversation because there are bad actors out there. What percentage of humans on the planet do you think are bad actors? Okay. Truly bad actors or e like evil or just people that don't understand the implications? Um, let's, let's lump them together. What is it? Is it more humans are ending up doing bad for society than good? I would think that as a species, we're inherently selfish. And if you don't have the sociological or intellectual capability to think broadly beyond yourself, you are, because that's all evil is, right? Evil is just a selfish act. And it's yeah. the result of whatever that selfish act is that causes the, the horrors of war or whatever the case may be. So if I, you know, you, you have, it's not, it's not as simple as just lumping them together because you have those who do not understand and can be educated. Okay. But then you have those who do understand and don't want to be educated. Yeah. And then you have people that are, are evil. Okay, people that are out there killing people for no other benefit but to kill them. And that happens. And, so, and it you know, when you when you say, would I say that the majority of people are bad actors? No, I would definitely say the majority of people don't like change. The majority of people don't understand the bigger view don't yeah. understand why it uh, here's a, here's a, taking it away from this particular problem here's a simple one mm -hmm. uh when i live in a house which i do own you know well i have a bank that owns a house that i supposedly eventually someday before i die will own uh <laughs> in bellingham washington okay i mm -hmm. have 10 acres so in bellingham is a very um blue area but we're surround i live in the county not in the city and the city is a little bit more uh, purple and libertarian, which is generally mm -hmm. where you go when rural, right? Don't tread on me. Leave me alone. Let me do my thing. Right. Right. And I got in this great discussion. Um, people were getting frustrated because you drive into town, there's less lanes for cars and more lanes for bicycles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I was talking to a gentleman, a little bit older than me, um, who just didn't see the purpose. Why are we spending all this money? And I'm like, first off, it's not about you or me. It's not about the next five years. It's about the next 25 years. And there are far, and he just, he either couldn't grasp it or wouldn't grasp it. It could have been one or the other. But the reality is, is I think that's where most people fall. You have visionaries, whether they agree with the other visionary or not, bike lanes mm -hmm. being a good example, um, mm -hmm. the idea that electric cars are a good idea. They're not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against green technology. It's just I think hydrogen has a better future. <laughs> um, the uh, you know, but then you have these people that they because it's change, it's bad. That doesn't make them bad actors. It just makes them unable to shift. And you're right. And that's the majority I've, of people. I've experienced that, but I don't think. Um, or, or let me put it this way: I think we need the dreamers like me to dream and imagine the better future. And then we need the reality checks. And 
I perform my own reality checks when appropriate, but when I'm dreaming, I want to be in that full space. And I can't tell you how many things that land in my lap and they come to me this way. There isn't any way possible that we can make this accessible. It's just not possible. And to me, it's a game. <laughs> I'm like, how can I make that possible? And I've been in art museum space where we've made it accessible. I've been in hologram, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope space and figured it out. And it's not hard. I love the challenge. And it, and it wasn't that expensive. Either. So I think that's where your, your, your challenge actually is though. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there is a philosophical challenge and a moral challenge to sure. Let's technology can achieve things that we purposely yeah. don't let it achieve. Uh -huh. And that's for good. Okay. Because when you start talking about, you know, there's a lot of folks that think that the government um, is good. Okay. But the problem is government is inherently bad. It's just that it can do good things, just like humans, because it's run by humans. And humans, yeah. by default, are selfish, which means they're going to do what's in their best interest. Now, one of the things that I've always professed to is that I will take care of myself before I take care of somebody else. Because I can, I can help a thousand people if I'm taking care of myself. If I'm not I'm taking care of myself, that. I can't help anybody. Yeah. Have yes. To put that, the mask. Exactly. The mask on your face first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That type of thing. Um, but I wonder, I mean, in the space that we're kind of diverging here, because in the space that we're talking about, when we're talking about dis enabling the disabled, right? Because disability, a lot of people have a tendency to have a negative reaction to the idea of disability. Oh, I'm not disabled. Well, you know what? Right, that's true. I'm almost 50 and I can't read up close without these anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I'm incapable of functioning. It means I need someone th something to help me get back to 2020, for example. Exactly. And, and, and what's um, interesting, go ahead. No, 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 please go. So what's interesting is as we've been discussing this, I think that it sounds like I live in the clouds and that my feet aren't on the ground. And what's fascinating is that I am so pragmatic when it comes to when I spend my client's money. When it's my client's money, no. But I'm trying to also be 10 steps ahead so that I don't get sideswiped with a client need that I don't know what to do with. So that's why I play in these other spaces. Um, and so if we bring this back, what I want to say is the cognitive space surprised the heck out of me once I was brave enough to open the door. And the person that helped open that door for me is a woman by the name of Lisa Seaman. And if you look her up, she's in Israel. Um, she has done so much work in the area of cognitive disability. She is neurodiverse herself. 
Um, and one of the things I was sitting at a conference and she was speaking and I'm trying to open my mind to not be overwhelmed by helping people with cognitive disabilities. And Lisa said, we're starting with ADHD, dyslexia, and she named like three more. And I went, oh, I don't have to start with the thousands and thousands of medical diagnosis which is what kept overwhelming me. What if I just looked at dyslexia? What if I just looked at ADD? And that, that helped me take a deep breath, recognize we should chunk things, put the rest on the backlog. <laughs> what are we going to work on right now? And when I got to do okay. my first, go ahead. Let, let me interject here for, for the listeners. Can you define neurodivergent? Um, neurodivergent. And the reason I say this is it, that's actually a relatively new term to me. I, I, I yeah. knew it beforehand, but mm -hmm. it also sounds pretty popcorn. So Pretty popcorn? Okay. So it's a way that I am um, meaning to be respectful to people that have a different brain pattern than I do or a different brain pattern than what is currently thought of as useful in our current society by the average human being. And so okay. for years, I want you to think about the school environment. Our oh, I was going there. So bring it on. <laughs> environment um, is not, based on it is it it, it it comes from a factory kind of model uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's mass education and one of my best friends is a teacher so please any teachers professors i i love you and i love what you do um but what happens is there's a certain mind that works really well in this i need you to sit down I need you to be quiet. I need you to focus. There's a certain mind that works well. I have one of those minds. And then there's a certain mind that doesn't work so well in that space. So we valued the be quiet, sit down and focus mind. And we've devalued the, what they call the hunter mind or the ADD mind. And the ADD hunter brain is a brilliant brain that worked super well in, well, actually it's brilliant in sales. It's brilliant in leadership. It's brilliant in a lot of places. But some of our structures don't create an environment that's conducive to that brain pattern. And so when I say neurodiversity, it's it, it, it's a different brain style that's not fitting into the current factory model. Okay. So, and I know Lindsay is just waiting for this. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a second to see how I can formulate my thoughts on this. All right. Uh, it's not the factory model. It is the conformist model. Mm -hmm. It is the model that drives productivity and profit into everybody's hands, except for the people that are in that model. People say, oh, that's not true. We're trying for the better. Now, I believe you are. 
But yeah. the idea that keep in mind when you call it the factory model, you're exact. You are affirming exactly what I just said because the factory model is to produce cheaply, as yeah. much productivity, yeah. to make as much profit for the board and shareholders as possible. That is the factory model. So what we've done is we've imported the selfishness and greed into the public school system to derive uh, the next series of workers to continue to produce that abomination of society. And then what happened was, is because of the way that education continued to move forward, they, the powers that be said, these people who do not conform, I'm one of them, by the way, in case that wasn't obvious, uh, are broken, so we must label them. I'm not ADD. I just think faster than you do. And that's just something that you're going to have to learn to deal with. <laughs> right? And and there are things that you're going to see and notice. It, it was so cool. So I remember the first time that I got to do usability testing on a website, and I got to include people with nerdversity. And as I was working with the client and we were picking which cognitive differences I was going to recruit for, we picked the two, um, um, we picked dyslexic and we picked ADD, ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what was going to happen in the usability test. At that point, I had done more usability tests than I could. I probably done over a hundred not looking at cognitive diversity. And I was in this test doing blind motor impairment. There was no speech input. There was no audio. So we didn't need to do anything related to hearing. Um, and then I picked up. Um, dyslexic and, and ADD. And I'm like, man, this is going to be interesting. What happens? You know, I was so curious to a T the dyslexics picked out anything that was a pixel off in the design of the interface and really? a, a thing that I couldn't catch with my eye, they picked up. So if there was a different font, if there was something out of line, it distracted them. The dyslexics all pointed it out. And then to my surprise, so did the ADD people. Now, I'm not saying, you know, this is a small cohort that I was working right. with. But it was like, wow. What I just learned is that some people are distracted by design disorder more than others and so you can improve the user experience by having more orderly designs i would agree actually because i am someone that spots right I'm like what um like if you it, i want to talk about accessibility at large here because we are running a little bit long um <laughs> But before we get there, I, I want, here's an example. There is something that takes place in the common person's day now um, that is one of the surefire ways to allow me to have a man tantrum. Okay. And that's self-checkout. 
Self-checkout is an abomination for anybody that thinks really quickly. Okay? Because they design it for... They, the experience <laughs> is... Yes, the experience is for your... I, I don't, I don't want to say average, because that's really a bad label. Because I don't think anybody's right. average. I think that you have great gifts in one area and you're average in others. But it, it's mm -hmm. designed for the common person's experience. So there are times when my partner's just like, you know what, why don't you go into the electronics section or why don't you go out to the bus or whatever and I'll take care of this because I get to the point where I want to punch the screen because it can't keep up with me by design, <laughs> right? It's designed to go slower so that the people that are reading the screen are inputting things, are searching, finding, it's all at a pace that the common person works in yeah yeah and, and, and this is what's so cool about the research that's happening in accessibility where my feet aren't on the ground i am up in the clouds and and, and i'm dreaming um is that we're not going to put that cost on you in your everyday small business or your everyday large business unless you really want to get into the research with us but in the beginning of accessibility, for the physical disabilities that I've talked about, vision, hearing, mm -hmm. motor, and speech, there is often a one-size-fits-many solution. The moment we enter the cognitive space, there's a one-size-fits-one. Mm -hmm. And that makes you go, oh, well, then it's too costly and we can't do it. Uh, uh, uh. what it just means is that we need some dials. We need some personalization. There is no one size brightness on your monitor, on everyone's monitor that works with their eyes. They need a dimmer and a brightener. And so as we experience this, and as you were talking about, oh, this isn't working at the speed I need to work at. That's what cognitive accessibility is going to bring us. Because so let's, they let's, need those That's the part we haven't focused on yet. We're kind of, we were kind of diving into it slowly. And I know we should talk about accessibility at large. If you have a little bit of time, I really would like to talk about the cognitive stuff. Because yeah. being in tech, I see it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from a personal perspective, one of the problems that is a constant battle for me is uh -huh. that my brain is saying, is moving so fast in a particular direction yeah. that I'll say something and I didn't even realize I said it. Like someone will say, well, you just said X. And I'm like, no, I didn't. It's because I'm already three weeks ahead. It, it, I kept going. Mm -hmm. The other issue that I have is that uh, I'm concrete. So if, uh, if you, if there's a concept that is presented to me that I haven't encountered before, uh -huh. I have to put my hands on it. Yeah. I can't just, right. It might, I, I got, give me Legos, something that I can, mm -hmm. you know, work around and like, oh, okay, now I get it. And in a very practical sense for all of our technical listeners, I will explain how this uh, is very real in my life. When I was a kid, I had to take geometry. 
I failed it miserably. Why? Proofs. I hated proofs. I'm like, I already have the answer. Why do I have to prove it's true? And so I, I, and I just didn't get it. It wasn't until I was well into my technical career and I had to write test cases for my code. And I, I, since I hand wrote it, right, I typed in this test because this is supposed to return one. Does it return one? Yes. Great. And instantly I went, holy crap. That's what they were That's trying to a do. geometry proof. Right? I had a concrete way to mm-hmm. to demonstrate what was trying to be taught to me 30 years ago, but they weren't able to do that. Not is oh my god, 35 years ago. I'm getting old. Yeah. Um <laughs> so I didn't have that. So that's that's an example from my end. So let's talk about that. To talk to us about the cognitive because I this needs to be I don't like the labels. But yeah. I do think, like the neurodivergent, I, I I think that I know you're being respectful, but for me, it's not. It's like you're labeling people who are exceptional instead of labeling people who are not for the benefit of the people who are not, right? And it's not that they're not good people, but there's a large yeah. swath of the population that are not exceptional. They're just who they are. They do their yeah. thing, and that and they're awesome people. But then you have your neurodivergent people. They are exceptional in something, almost always. Yes. And just like when we were talking earlier about um, bad actors and that there was a combination, um, neurodivergence can be the brilliant neurodivergent. It can be the, I'm different, but not that terribly different from you. I just need this or that to learn better. And then there are people at this at this far edge where their cognition is something we haven't figured out how to enable them to communicate or or be more independent. So there's there's a whole there's a whole realm of that. And what I what I want to challenge is is this. So out of curiosity, what's your formal level of education? I, I, have, I have two bachelor's degrees. I do not. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Um, because of the way the factory model works, I yep. dropped out of high school. Yep. I went to college. I was excited and inspired by college only to be get kicked out of class because I was smarter than the professor. Mm-hmm. Never went back. The last time I held a, it, last time I held employment was 1999. Everything else I am self-taught uh, or attended a seminar or whatever, but largely self-taught and through observation of growing a company, growing a community, learning the differences between people uh, and largely reaching a point in my career where I didn't have to care what the normal person thought, which exactly. allowed me to actually embrace the differences of actually be inclusive because I didn't have to care about what the normal person thought anymore. And I'm, I'm going to suggest based on what you just said that the current brick and mortar education models that were built during the industrial revolution are based on jobs that aren't highly brain intellect centric. True. And so that factory model of schooling worked appropriately for that time period. But 
I read a beautiful book, I think it's by Daniel Pink, um, about how left brain is what we need in this information age. It's not the same model. And the sit down, be quiet, focus, and do what you're told is not the skill set that we need as much in this information age. And <laughs> but you're 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 talking about a situation where because there are right I mean yes they cross over but there are dominant right you're right right hand dominant left hand dominant right you have people that are right hand right brain sure. dominant people that are left brain dominant and I think that what we're forgetting this comes back to the just because we can doesn't mean we should if we focus on the left brain folks we are leaving behind all the people that can bring. Oh, and amazing I'm gifts that. to this. I'm not saying that at all. It, it's the title of a book by Daniel Pink. Um, um, and let me bring it to the, this concept that's been floating back and forth between my head. And I, when I asked you your education level, what I was, what I was going to say is this. Okay, so I got two bachelor's degrees. What, what is that equivalent to? Grade 16, right? All day long, does my brain work at grade 16 exam making an A level? No. When I first wake up in the morning, didn't have a restful sleep and go to slap the snooze on the alarm, what level is my brain? Survival. Oh, maybe, maybe second, first grade. I mean, it's low. <laughs> it's very low. Look at the design of that snooze screen. Well, it's large and easy. I needed that. And so this cognitive accessibility, while it can make the difference for a person with X grade, you know, if I said third grade reading and math, um, for them to be more independent, it also is helping me every single day not turn my alarm off when i meant to snooze it okay and fascinating i want you to imagine that you were in a fancy coffee shop and you're going in and there's a bunch of hipsters in front of you and they are doing all their fancy little orders and you want black coffee you just described my every time I walk into a coffee shop. Okay. That barista up there has about a hundred recipes in their head. They've got a line of cranky, maybe entitled, selfish humans ordering these wild combinations of and this and this and this and this. Lots of noise, things being spilled. Guess who needs more cognitive space? That barista. Did you know that there's a coffee shop, it's over on the East Coast somewhere, that hires people with intellectual disabilities? Do you know a really great place to learn how to make the barista that doesn't have an intellectual disability job easier? Go look at how they figured it out for these employees that have intellectual disabilities. 
All right. Societal problem, though. Mm-hmm. Everybody's moving to touchscreen so that there is no barista. I actually just wrote an article all about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in that it, we are moving toward a society due to convenience. We are losing our people. We're losing our people connection. We're becoming more inhuman because everything is, well, this, this gal or guy, usually a gal, but this gal can't remember my order or in, let, you know, in the big black and green corporation mindset, um, if we can move to an automated model to where we have one person that can serve 50 people instead of five people that can serve 50 people, we now have profit off of very small margin stuff. But it removes the human. What I'm going to say is, you know, when we used to work by candles and then got light bulbs, and when we Mm -hmm. used to have to put the cars together with human hands as opposed to robots, I don't know about you, but I kind of like the work I get to do every day. And I believe that we can maintain the human connection. Now, the one thing I can't do is I can't exactly touch you. Okay. Right. Um, But the intellectual conversation that we're having right now is awesome. And this touch screen that would allow me to order the coffee and not have this intelligent barista who's actually wanting to write and publish a novel maybe it's going to free them up maybe there'll be a new career that they can do that is actually better fit for their brain they're doing the barista because that's what they that's what they can get right now it's funny you bring that up. I used to work for a company called Pals Books. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, they actually maintain the largest freestanding bookstore in the world. Mm-hmm. And it takes up multiple stories in an entire city block in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and by far, the majority of people that, it, when I worked there, the majority of people yeah. that worked there were English degrees, history degrees, things like that. They worked there because they love books, but they had different aspirations and people weren't valuing. And even to this day, people don't value as a whole. Society as a whole does not value intrinsically a literary literary work of art, um, you know, or if they go to the Met, you know, the meaning and the passion and the, the texture is lost on them. It's, they can say it's pretty, but, you know, why is it worth a million dollars? Right. Um, but on the other hand, and oh, I wish we had time for this. I'm Actually, I'm going to say this and then I want to divert back. The yeah. other hand, this comes back to just because we can, should we? Yeah. Right? Because there is definitely a, you're absolutely right. That barista might be able to write the next Amer- great American novel. Yeah. So what? Right? In reality, I mean, let her or let him, good for them, awesome. But you're replacing yeah sure like you said we're having this great conversation a lot of people can't do that a lot of people are cognitively cognitively disabled and are unable to do that a lot of people just don't have the emotional capabilities or you know however they were raised they're closed off or they can't find something to connect on 
right? What if we can help? So with that, though, no, go ahead. Okay. Go okay. Ahead. But we can help them. We can help them. <laughs> Every human being, can, what if we can help unlock more of the positive human potential? That's what I think this is about. And, How do and, we avoid and, wall E? Um, I don't know. I think I might need bourbon and dark chocolate conversation to figure that out. Um, <laughs> which, wait, which bourbon? Which bourbon? Okay. Which bourbon? Okay. The, the everyday bourbon, the everyday bourbon is going to be Jim Beam. Um, the, the, I want a nice bourbon is going to be for roses. And if you want to get really highfalutin, I'll, I will get the Blantons out. Okay. Uh, I'm a Woodford double oak. Ooh, Woodford's very nice. Um, and one that I haven't had a chance to try, I was hoping to try on this trip, was yeah. Castle and Key. And the reason <gasps> I'm going to try Castle and Key, oh, you probably know this. I, it's I was made there. by. You were there. Okay. So you know, she's the first master distiller of bourbon that's this female. Woman. Well, I was there before they opened. I I, I went on uh, the bourbon trail with my husband okay. and a dear, dear friend of ours. And um, we're, um, we're traveling between, I think we had just come from Woodford and we're on this little teeny road and we blow past this amazing building that hasn't completely been renovated yet. They're not open yet. Right. And we're like, what was that? And we turned back <laughs> and and discovered um, it was where Castle. So I haven't been since they've opened. I need to I need to go back. Yeah, that was that's it's on our list. Um, all right. So before we really get distracted, because we could talk about bourbon all day long. <laughs> yes, let let's talk about accessibility at large because I, I that is the key here. I think it's important, and I, I think our guests we yeah. need to to have an understanding that this isn't about necessarily wheelchair ramps right it's a little bit more than that it is um so define accessibility for us okay um unlocking the doors to the digital space so that people that are blind low vision colorblind can do the same thing you and i can do and then we go into the deaf and the hard of hearing can do the same thing you and I can do. They can make an A, they can be successful in their job, they can buy the thing, they can vote um, and through all those disability types. Now, when we get into the cognitive space, you and I have played a lot in the, um, in the edgy areas. Um, that's not part of law yet. And so if we're looking at countries and laws, um, Americans with Disability Act and the equivalent in countries around the world, um, you're going to see unlocking the doors for the major physical disabilities that I've described. And it needs to be possible for them to do it independently and technically viable. Um, so... Um, one of my coworkers currently can't play a video in a third party software that we use. It's because whoever coded that interface hand coded their video player and the play button is a div, an HTML div that has no element that 
raises it up so that assistive technology, like a screen reader, can know that there's an action on that. A div in HTML is just an inert junk piece. Right. And so you need to have an it identifier. It's it. a button. And it, it needs a name play. It needs a role of button. And it needs to be able to be gotten to by a keyboard, not just a mouse, so that you can tab to it and press it with the space bar or the enter key and have it go. If that small piece of code is fixed, which is very simple to fix, actually, then my coworker, who's brilliant and has no light perception, can play the video that he needs to to do his job. That's interesting. Um, so as we're having this podcast, I'm using Linux. Uh -huh. um, and I use the GNOME interface uh -huh. for Linux, um, which takes a lot of hardcore old school Unix principles. Yeah. Yeah. And the Unix, for those that don't know, the Unix principles were the mouse is doesn't exist. Right. That was something that came later. Yeah. So to this day, um, one of the situations that I run into is that I turn off the trackpad mm -hmm. because the trackpad just gets in my way. I, and I hit it with something. All of a sudden I'm editing a different piece of a document. It's, it's, it's yeah. trackpads are broken. Um, and, but if I don't have my mouse for some reason, it's not charged, whatever. And I need, uh, mm -hmm. my trackpad. Because of the way that GNOME is designed, I'm able to do it from my keyboard. I'm able to go yes. in, open the touchpad settings, hit tab down to the right slider bar, hit space and enter, and boom, my trackpad suddenly starts working. That is accessibility right there. Right okay. there. And, and that so, unlocks the door for people that are blind and motor impaired because a person that literally only has the ability to blink one eye could use that interface with the right so to be clear for let, let me interject here to blink one eye this is actually really important because a lot of people know who hawking was mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and hawking was an amazing individual before he passed yes but he had to communicate via a twitch of an eye that's ex exactly right? right. I don't remember which side, but it's like he could like twitch one of the eye, his eyes in a certain uh -huh. way and we uh -huh. made it accessible. And he's one of the most brilliant minds we've had in the last century. And how dare we not let that beautiful human brain of Stephen Hawking reach its potential. We would have lost it. How many people would have looked at that man a hundred years ago and went, mm obviously can't do anything can't think can't speak can't yes he put him in a sanitarium that's exactly the and thrown away what he had to offer the world how can we do that how many people are locked inside a body that doesn't work like yours and mine that have intelligence oh it just it's what motivates me I'm right, reminded of the stories of, um, and I, I can't remember the name of the condition, but there's a condition that presents itself like a coma. Mm -hmm. You can't move, you can't do anything, but you're mentally awake. All there, all there. Yeah, and I mean, imagine 
you hear the doctors coming out, if, if it's something that's on set and you have a wife or a husband and, and all of a sudden you see them, but you can't communicate. Yeah. And so what's fascinating here is that this type of technology literally allowed Stephen Hawking to share his brilliance with the world. It may help another person that's been in a tragic car accident say, I love you. Because it's all they can do. It, it, it so, may allow you and I to do something in an emergency situation that it's, it's not a disability thing. Stephen Hawking needed it to use the computer. You and I got to have our, our, our iPhone recognize that we, how about the friend who has a heart attack and their watch picks up that they just hit the floor? So everything that you've said is good. Okay. Absolutely. I think that those things that are mentioned, uh, that technology enables and allows a fuller life that, and to help people is good. Yeah. My concern is that all of these good things, how do we protect against the inevitable bad thing that follows? I'll give you an example. Okay. Your situation that you say, you know, you wear a patch or something, it detects that you've fallen. You're at risk, so you wear this thing and, and mm -hmm. you've fallen. Mm -hmm. Eventually, someone is going to propose, now we want to use it to detect their location. Now we want to use it to detect where they are, what they buy, what when they have sex, all that stuff, right? And there's going to be somebody like yourself, no disrespect, who's going to say, but it's for good. And everything I just said is bad. And, and this, is, this is why we need the rainbows and unicorns people like me. And the security protection privacy people, and don't get me wrong, I care about security. I care about privacy. Sure. I'm just, that's not my muscle. And so I need those people. And what I want to tell you is super fascinating. When I was at University of Texas at Austin working and learning digital accessibility from my accessibility dad, Dr. John Slayton. Uh, professor uh, that was there. The one thing I learned is my best friend in making accessibility happen at an organization is often my IT security group. Mm -hmm. Because the two of us can work hand in hand in figuring out what needs to be accessible and secure when accessibility and security butt heads, you know what we need to do? We need to step back and we need to look at the big picture from a business, from the public, from the, and we can't just look at the person with the need, the individual. Mm -hmm. And then we have to make an intelligent leadership decision as a business. There are some exceptions in security. For, for cognitive related to logins and passwords. If you can't, if you can't figure this out, 
And yet, there's still opportunity. So I want to tell you that there is a beautiful relationship that needs to occur. It's that push and pull between um, the business need, the need of the, of the person with a disability, the accessibility vision that I'm sharing, and the security, privacy, and this isn't going to be used for bad. And, and I don't it's get, funny you bring that up because we that. just literally just had this discussion with our security team mm -hmm. and I had to remind them that the security team is not the job is not to say no. It's to answer the question. What is the problem we're trying to solve? That's yeah. that's the first part. What problem are we trying to solve? And can we right? It mm -hmm. may be a no, but if you start with no, you get nowhere. Right. It's always what is the problem we're trying to solve? Yeah. Um, yeah. OK, so we've discussed. You've defined what, you know, accessibility is. Um, why? Let's see if we can cover this in eight minutes. Okay. <laughs> We're going to solve all the world's problems in eight minutes. Perfect. Um, why is cognitive disability the next great frontier? So when I look at the occurrence of physical disabilities, non-cognitive disabilities, it's significant. And, and how they relate to a person's ability. You know, if I count numbers of humans with physical disabilities, it's significant. And then when I add the cognitive, every statistic where I've been able to get to cognitive numbers of people, the cognitive numbers are significantly higher than the physical disabilities in any given population. In other Give me words, an example. Okay. University of Texas at Austin, students can go to the services for students with disabilities and say, I have a disability. I'm blind. I need this. I'm deaf. I need this. I have ADD. I have dyslexia. I have all kinds of things. I need this. It's a way for us. It was a way for me when I worked at UT to understand in the population of 50,000 students, what percentage of the students had blind needs, deaf needs, motor needs, or speech input, or cognitive? Cognitive okay. numbers way outnumbered. And are we talking thirty percent versus two percent, or? Um, I would have to go look it up. I don't want to throw numbers, but it was sure. big. It it it, okay. it it was um, double digits versus, in some cases, single digits. Um, was okay. it all the way to 30 or was it, a, you know, I can't, I can't remember the exact numbers, but we see this over and over again. And, you know, you mentioned something at the top of the call in the field of technology, you sense that you're working with people that have cognitive differences many yes. times. Okay. Yes. What I suspect is that every single one of us is going to benefit from this. And I'm going to bring us into a space where we're driving and we're late and the traffic is bad and now the weather's bad and there's somebody yelling in the back seat. It's your kid. They're crying and they're yelling. How's your cognition working right now? Well, I'm a dad. So do you want me to pull this car around? <laughs> right. 
You'll pee at the next scheduled pee stop. (laughs) And be quiet. There's so many situations where a person without a formal cognitive difference or diagnosis has the exact same need as a person with. And some of these situations are flipping dangerous. We're driving a large vehicle at 75 miles an hour in the rain in traffic. Yeah. Okay. Cognitive accessibility is going to help you. It's going to help. So, and we don't have enough time to get into this. I'm, we're yeah. just going to have you on again for the next, like, we're, we're just going to do like six more episodes because uh, now we need to talk about autonomy. Right. So, but we're, we're not going to go there. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, this has been fantastic. And we, if you're willing, we'd love to have you on again. This is is fascinating. I think we have a lot of intellectual, moral, philosophical, technical, like, well, like this that you were talking about, right? Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. Oh, yes. Like this. Um, it's good tension. And that I would hope, you know, that's how you make progress, right? You make no, if you don't have friction, you don't make progress. It's that simple. And with that, it's been more than a refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Our guest today was Glinda Sims. Here comes the title. Chief, chief, chief information accessibility officer at DQ, not the frosty hamburger place. Uh, And Glinda, it's been wonderful. 